If you look at the Kishkinda Kand of the Valmiki Ramayana, there are mentions of the Pandyas and the Cholas and the Cheras. Today we are taught to see ourselves as either North Indian or South Indian and the two don't mix. Instead of spending money on the temple, why can't you spend money on... Of course the kings were not uh, that dumb, so why did they invest that much money and energy in the temples? Education system that we have today, it is designed to produce clerks and peons, not leaders. It's designed to keep India enslaved. The ancestral homeland of almost all non-African humans was India. So our heritage, genetic lineages, all of us, it's about 70,000 years old. In here, Puducherry, Puducherry, they have discovered a very ancient submerged city, which seems to be roughly a hundred square kilometers at least. That's how large the site is. It seems to be 10 or 11,000 years old and it is tentatively identified as Kaveri Pumbani. And the people would typically live in reasonable poverty. But the kings would live in great opulence. Temples, universities, we don't remember the great universities of India. We had universities across the length and the breadth of the country. In South, North, East, West, everywhere, India is the birthplace of the university system. Yeah. Okay? None of them stands today because the Turks destroyed everything. During British times, mm-hmm. the British themselves collected data. Before they destroyed India's education system, they collected data about India's education mm-hmm. system. The records are still there with the British. And if you look at the data, the British data, which the British collected in temples, and children of every caste were given education. And boys as well as girls were given education. And typically the so-called lower castes had more students than the so-called higher castes. This can't be real. Oh, uh, there is the city of Dwarka. Mm. There is yeah. a city of, a town of Dwarka in Gujarat. About 20 or 30 years ago, they dis- somebody, the archaeologist Dr. S.R. Rao, said, let me look under the water what's off the coast of Dwarka. And he found an entire city there. Oh my so God. clearly what was written in the Mahabharata actually happened. When we talk about the kings and queens, I remember one more thing. The earliest form of history I, you know, I studied was the Indus Valley Civilization. But uh, as we were discussing earlier, you mentioned that uh, history dates back to 11,000 years back. Uh, can you shed some light on that part? Like, what were the actual conditions at that time? Like, right. So, if we look at uh, Sangam literature. Yeah. So, when we talk about Sangam literature, we talk about Tamil literature. So, the first, there 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 have been three Sangam periods. Yes. The first Sangam, the first uh, uh, such event is supposed to have happened in a city called Kapatapuram. That city no longer exists. And if you date, date it back, it's about 11,000 years before today. Okay, and it is said that Lord Shiva himself participated in the first Sangam. All the gods participated. Now this city, Kapatapuram, no longer exists because 11,000 years ago, the coastline of India was very different. The ice age was still, to a significant extent, still in force. And the sea levels, ocean levels were at least 100 meters below where they are today. So we had more land and the coastal cities of that time are now submerged. Recently near Puducherry, Puducherry, they have discovered a very ancient submerged city, which seems to be roughly a hundred square kilometers at least. That's how large the site is. It seems to be 10 or 11,000 years old and it is tentatively identified as Kaveri Pumbadnam. Ka- yeah, 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 I okay? know. So we have discovered one such city. There are many more submerged cities on both coasts of India, east coast and west, west coast. So Kapatapuram once was above the sea level, now it is gone. But that's where the first Sangam was held, approximately 11,000 years before today. So that's a very old age, that's a very long time ago. And still the memory is there. But we don't have the literature from that time, for whatever reason. Now, when it comes to, you spoke about the Indus Valley Civilization. We have to understand one thing. It was not a separate civilization that came and disappeared. We are part of it. We are the continuation of that. It was actually the Saraswati Sindhu phase of India's history. And it was not something that happened far away in the northwest of India. India today, if you look at India, it is all interconnected. Yes, exactly. India has always been interconnected. 
it has always been one subcontinent. If you look at Sangam literature, there are mentions of the lands north of the Himalayas. If you look at the Kishkinda Kand of the Valmiki Ramayan, there are mentions of the Pandyas and the Cholas and the Cheras and the Andras and the Pundras. So it's not like everybody was living in isolation. We have always been one civilization. So when we talk about the Saraswati Sindhu phase of Indian history, which your history textbooks will call the Indus Valley Civilization, it begins the oldest archaeological site that is said to be of this era is called Bhiranna. It's it's in Haryana. It's about nine and a half thousand years old. And there are at least 3,000 archaeological sites along the dry riverbed of the Saraswati that have never been explored. So it is quite likely if we start exploring them, we will find much older sites. But from the best evidence that we have today, the Saraswati Sindhu phase of India's history started around 9,500 9 years before today. And what is remarkable is that we have unbroken cultural continuity. So ladies, even today in India, they wear the Mangme Sindhu, the thing, right? Sindhu, yeah. Sindhu in the hair. Even in Tamil Nadu, we yeah, have Everywhere it, in India. Yeah. If you go to Assam, they wear it. In Tamil Nadu, they wear it. In yeah. Kerala, they wear it. In Haryana, they wear it. A thousand years ago, in Afghanistan, they used to wear it. So we have this culture, this, this cultural manifestation today in India. If you see statues of ladies from the Saraswati Sindhu phase, you see the same thing. Yeah. Right? Yes, exactly. The same culture existed. So we, and that's just one example. We have Shivalingas, we have the Swastika, we have the Trishul, we have the Pashupati Shiva. Yes. We have so many, we, we have, Jalikattu. Exactly. Jalikattu. Imagine in Tamil Nadu. So we have elements of what is today considered to be southern Indian culture. We have elements of what is considered to be northern Indian culture. We have yoga. We have statuettes of people in all the yoga positions that we still practice today. It's at least 5,000 years old. Minimum. But imagine yoga is such an advanced technology. It's so deep. But it's not seen in a perspective that people, you know, 5,000 years old, they knew this technology that it literally changes your entire body. You can, you can take control over your entire body through yoga. And people in India 5,000 years back knew about this. But we were never taught the, you know, the Indus Valley civilization this way. All we read was like how the drainage system was how the great bath was. Of course, it was great, but I'm sure that's the least thing they must have, you know, uh, cared about. There are, there, there, there are some extra elements, there are supernatural elements that not even be considered like yoga. It was not emphasized, it was not even, you know, in schools it was, I think yoga is something that should, that should be the pride of our country, but it's not yet. Uh, people hardly, you know, uh, we have a lot of misconception about yoga. But uh, why do you think it's it's happening? Like, uh... <laughs> why is it happening? It's because uh, the education system that we have today is essentially the unchanged education system that was instituted in the 19th century by Lord Macaulay. So today they will offer you MBA degrees. They will teach you computer science and God knows what. But the education system is just the same. It's designed to tell you what to think and not teach you how to think. It is designed to produce clerks and peons, not leaders. It's designed to keep India enslaved. And after 1947, we did not change the system. So do you really think there wasn't any, there wasn't any significant changes, uh, the Mekali? from the system Mekali made, there wasn't any significant changes even after 75 years of independence? Well, they offer modern degrees. Okay. So it looks very different. It looks very modern. It looks 21st century. But the the way it is done is the same. You See, what does a teacher value in a student today? Marks. No. The, yeah, marks. Obedience. Sir. Obedience, of course. Obedience. Obedience of course. I'm you sorry. are a good student if you yeah, are obedient. Yeah. But a good, a truly... Uh, creative and individualistic student. See, we have to all be part of society, but we have to flower as individuals. Every child has so much curiosity. It is smashed out of them through obedience. So they value students who are obedient. 
they don't value students who think differently or ask questions yeah, exactly if you ask questions you are bad yes yes exactly because i was always a good student all my life i was i'll be the top of the class but i i was not so obedient i'll ask a lot of questions i was never a favorite child of any teacher i would always even since from the since from i ever remember i would always have a some kind of you know conflict with the teacher there'll always be some you know uh, distress between the teacher and me so even though i was a good student i was i'll be good at marks i was never considered a good good girl or something like good girl of an example or never like that but there'll be other girls Who'll be, you know, uh, who'll be good in marks, but at the same time they'll be super obedient. But they, those girls will be portrayed as, as an example for the rest of the people. So of course, yeah, it's true. Obedience is something. Listen, what is the sign of intelligence? Curiosity. Curiosity. And how does curiosity manifest itself? Asking questions, but you're not supposed to ask questions. So they are destroying your curiosity, and they are turning you into an obedient robot. So you can get marks in the Indian education system by simply memorizing some things you don't understand. Exactly. But if you don't understand, after the year is over, you will have no memory of what happened, and you will have learned nothing. You simply memorized some stuff, and you wrote down the answers answers in the exam, and then next year you move on, and you will remember nothing. So what was the point of that one year that you wasted? Nothing. That is the Indian education system. Nothing has changed. so that's the system that we are all laboring under and they don't they want to detach and separate indian children from their heritage and culture so we are not taught about yoga we don't even know what yoga is and where it came from these statuettes that we have discovered in the saraswati sindhu archaeological site they are of people in a variety of yoga poses now so many yoga poses to develop them would take centuries maybe thousands of years it means that yoga is much older than yeah. what you see we are already seeing the finished product 5000 yes. years ago yes exactly so yeah. the development phase would have taken 2 3000 years for possibly for sure right yeah so it tells you how ancient yoga is and it tells you where it came from it came from the soil of india the indian subcontinent we have discovered it in the saraswati sindhu region sapta sindhu region but who knows it may have already also have existed in south india southern india or eastern india but our archaeologists have never bothered to look so we don't know exactly if you don't look you will never know anything that's what's happening there is so much rich, richness and depth in indian history and we perhaps know 2% of it 2% perhaps so we had such an incredibly rich history and today we are taught to see ourselves as either north indian or south indian and the two don't mix well that's not that's that's a lie we have always been one people yes we have different skin colors you have people who are fairer than me in south india also yeah of course yeah and there are people who are really dark skin in north look at the afghan cricket team you will see people who are darker than the average tamil nadu person some people are like that yeah. so the skin color range and variation has been always part of indian history because we have so much diversity in india but culturally and civilizationally we have always been one this is something that i keep emphasizing but people keep on pushing back because they don't they have been taught something else and they don't want to see the truth they, it it hurts to see, to to be given facts that clash with what you've been taught for for decades as a, as a child so that's a problem but uh, yeah the history of india the history of the indian civilization is at least 10000 years old and we have explored maybe 2% or 1% of the archaeological sites that exist so if we start doing that archaeological work properly imagine what we will uncover the genetic history of india is 70000 years old the out of africa migration is the is what most likely happened so our around 80 or 70000 years before today humans a bunch of humans for whatever reason we don't know why they they left but they escaped out of africa they made a very difficult journey through the strait of bab al mandeb near yemen and djibouti they crossed over into the arabian peninsula then they went eastwards because that's where the vegetation was then they again crossed the gulf of hormuz which is the persian gulf in the arabian sea region and they came into what is now persia and again they followed the greenery vegetation and then they made their way into the indian subcontinent the indian subcontinent was filled with rivers 
Rivers everywhere. Everywhere there's greenery. Huge geography. It can sustain as many people as you want. So the Indian subcontinent was the original founder's zone of the out of Africa migration. And out of India, you had migrations that eventually happened in all directions. And that's how the rest of the world was populated. Now, genetically, we know that the oldest non-African male and female lineages originated in the Indian, sub Indian subcontinent. There is something called haplogroup F, which is the ancestral genetic lineage of 95% of non-European men, uh, non-African men. It originated in, in, in the Indian subcontinent about 16,000 years before today. And the oldest non-African female lineages are haplogroups M and N, which are about 65 or 70,000 years old. They also originated in the Indian subcontinent. So the ancestral homeland of almost all non-African humans was India. So our heritage, genetic lineages, all of us, it's about 70,000 years old. We are the oldest non-African, uh, you know, population group. And that's why we have so much diversity in India. Yeah. Because it's so old. So obviously, it's such a large subcontinent. So obviously, you will have lots of diversity. And you will have back and forth migrations. But the Indian subcontinent always had an enormous population compared to the rest of the world. For instance, when we look at the mature, so-called mature phase of the Saraswati Sindhu phase of Indian history, the population of that region was greater than the population of maybe the entire rest of the world. And the geographical area was greater than Egypt and Mesopotamia put together. So that tells you, an, that gives you an idea of the scale and the size of uh, Indian, of that part of Indian civilization at the time. And the technology, you had cities laid out in grid structures. You don't have that in modern India, in 21st century India. Mm -hmm. But 5,000, 6,000 years ago, you had cities laid out in grid structures, like you yeah. have in the US today. Yeah. And you had drainage systems that were that were at that time better than what you have in many cities in exactly, India today. Exactly, exactly. You know, recently there were these floods in Pakistan a year or so ago. Yeah, yeah, it was a huge one. Now. You know what came in the news? In Mohenjo-daro, mm -hmm. everywhere it was flooded. Mm -hmm. In Mohenjo-daro, the 5,000-year-old drainage system drained out the water. It still works. This can't be true. Like, Look at the news. Oh my God. For real. It still works. What oh our ancestors did 5,000 years ago. Okay, yeah? I kind of underestimated the drainage system. <laughs> <laughs> so, and you had standardization of weights and measures. So if you go to this enormous geographical region, so many towns and villages and big cities, the weights and measures you find everywhere are the same. Complete standardization across an enormous geographical region. Okay? The same sizes of weights okay. and measures. Everything everywhere the same. Which means it was just one entire civilization. Maybe they were administered through mm -hmm. different uh, rulers or whatever. But the other thing is, not a single palace. Yeah. So yeah. who was ruling? Who was administering this entire region? Yeah, actually, I had this question. Huh. Uh, we have the temple built by Rajaraja Cholan. It's so strong even today as if, as if it was built yesterday. It's so strong. But we don't even have any trace of the palace or what where he lived. We don't have anything. We have some forts here. But still, forts can't be considered, pa I don't think, palace. Now, fort is a fortified military, military installation yeah. with soldiers inside. Yeah. But uh, and perhaps some civilians, perhaps. Yeah, we don't have any trace of palaces, palaces. here in Tamil Nadu. Yeah, uh, do we have palaces elsewhere? So this is a very interesting point you've raised. We have palaces in India belonging to the princely states era. Okay. Which is the Indian puppet kings who were under British rule. Yeah. They were forced to be under British rule, even if they were good, mm -hmm. but they had no choice. So they, from that period of time, we find palaces, Mysore Palace. Other palaces, yeah. Baroda Palace, mm -hmm. uh, maybe some other places also. But if you go back before 1000 years before today, mm -hmm. before 1000 AD, show me a single palace anywhere in India. Before the foreign invasions began. you We had great empires, the Gupta Empire, the Chola Empire. The Chola Empire was one of the largest empires India has ever created. 
where are the palaces of the chola kings rajara emperors not kings emperors emperors rajaraj chola rajendra chola where are the palaces temples still stand very strong yeah where are the palaces did they Is not there a possibility that they might have not built the palaces the way they that is shocking how like... can they even think such things look <laughs> we had great empires beyond tamil nadu we had the great gupta empire huge their capital was initially patlaputra patna yeah. and then later most likely mathura or somewhere else where the palace we had the kushan empire kanishka had an enormous empire stretching from the shores of the caspian sea to the aral sea to present day xinjiang and tibet and much of india he had to, he had a capital in purushpur which is now peshawar and another one in mathura show me a palace no palace the marathas had a fortress called shanivarwada it was a military installation it was not a palace we had the maurya empire hugely powerful empire capital was patlaputra we have ruins of patlaputra outside mm. patna show me the palace there wasn't there, there was no palaces there was no trace of palace there were no palaces in ancient india oh what God. this tells us is that kings and queens and rulers lived in reasonably humble abodes they did not live in great luxury of course there will be some standards to maintain because you receive foreign dignitaries ambassadors you cannot be living in a hut and receive mm-hmm. an ambassador of course but there were no palaces one of the great queens of recent times was ahilya bai holkar yeah. who rebuilt so many of the destroyed temples that the, the turks had destroyed much of uh, kashi was rebuilt by her yeah. her house still exists it is a very humble ordinary house it was not a palace and she was one of the great queens of the past 500 years and so on so we have examples of palaces in the past 500 or so years during british times and during mughal times a, during a time period when india was under foreign occupation when indian culture was impacted by all these things then how about the rajasthan that we have palaces there na that is in the past 1000 years only Yeah. When India was already under siege ah. from the outsiders. Yes, yes, yes. Okay, so things change around that time, and many of those palaces are also forts, like Amer Fort, Jaipur Fort. You had a certain amount of luxury in that, but typically there were fortresses, Chittorgarh Fortress. Many historians try to portray these fortresses and forts as palaces. Okay, but yeah, you would have some Rajput palaces for sure. Mm-hmm. But I am saying, look at. the history of india beyond the past 1000 years and then show me a single palace Before you will see wish. temples everywhere so if temples can stand that long surely palaces will stand of course But there of are no course. palaces so what i'm trying to say, say is this there was something called raj dharma the duty of a king or or a ruler the duty was very simple it is what vishnugupta chanakya wrote in the arthashastra the highest morality for a king or a ruler is that his country and his people prosper that is the only job you have one job your country should prosper your people should prosper you should not personally prosper your duty is to serve leadership is service it is not ruling by force and gaining wealth for personal gain i am not saying that all kings were good we had the nanda dynasty which was de- defeated by vishnugupta chanakya and chandragupta maurya the nanda emperor dhananda was very evil he amassed a lot of wealth for okay. himself he had a palace apparently but he was defeated so we also had some bad kings i'm not i'm sure that the humanity is very diverse in any those exceptions are not you examples. will always have exceptions in any society you will have maybe 0.2% criminals you can't do anything yeah. about it in, even even in the best societies so you will have exceptions but the rule was that the king was a servant of the people not an oppressor and a dictator and somebody who enjoys the people's wealth the people's wealth was acquired by the king through taxation it was used for public works that's how it was typically and historically in india and you gave the example of there is an absence of palaces of course because that that tells you something because you know if you go to the you know tanjavur side where cholas uh, that was their capital uh, we have the temple so strong it's so strong as if it was built yesterday we don't have a, you know we even have a, some forts here like little parts of reminds of fort but we don't have a, a palace of course that makes one more question 
like why did they invest so much time in the temples like why excellent brilliant like, question so much uh, energy and so much wealth in the temple why of course raja raja chola was a great emperor but uh, he could have of course he could have at least if we do not want that luxury he could have at least built a great fort or anything like that hospitals yeah of course that this question actually one it was raised by one tamil nadu heroine jyotika so she apparently she visited the uh, temple the uh, tanjavur temple she mentions that it was uh, well maintained it was super it's all good but i see the hospital next to it it's so poor instead of spending money on the temple uh, why can't you spend money on the uh, you know hospitals and all okay. it was a huge controversy at, uh, just a year back so that one question arises of course the kings were not uh, that dumb so why did they invest that much money and energy in the temples excellent question so we have to understand see india we, we see india through today's lens through today's perspective we have grown up in an india which is suffering from the consequences of a thousand years of colonization first by the turks and then by the british and by the time we were born india's wealth was drained out so we have always thought of india as a nation of poverty of great poverty if you look at historical india there is this there is this uh, 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 economist called angus madison okay. he published a very highly regarded economic history of the world and if you look at the statistics and data in there it tells you that india in the past 2000 years for at least 1500 years has been the largest economy largest economy at least one third of the entire world's gdp came from india so india has been historically the most prosperous and rich civilization in the world china was typically number 2 so when you had an incredibly prosperous civilization an entire subcontinent sized civilization that was incredibly prosperous incredibly prosperous that it tells you there was excess wealth yeah and the true nature of a culture or a civilization is seen through how they use their excess wealth if you look at european empires all the excess wealth was amassed by the kings or the emperors and the people would typically live in reasonable poverty but the kings would live in great opulence in india all the excess wealth was typically used for public works so you had great highways that were constructed which are now attributed to the turks yeah. sher shah made the great grand trunk road no it was already existing in modern times the same road even cholas did even cholas, cholas constructed highways dakshinapath was there yeah. they would have maintained that temples universities we don't remember the great universities of, of india course. we had universities across the length and the breadth of the country in south north east west everywhere india is the birthplace of the university system yeah. okay none of them stands today because the turks destroyed everything and they burned all the libraries so we had enormous universities we had viharas and mahaviharas across the length and the breadth of the country we had hospitals which were free for the people you did not have to pay money to get treatment in a hospital all of that has disappeared we even had hospitals for animals and horses for real Two and a half thousand years ago, during Chandragupta time, we had hospitals along the highways for animals. Oh my God! Right. So it's always been that way, and the temples. So India had so much excess wealth that great temples were built. These temples were centers of education, not just worship, but also education. And this is something that spread across Southeast Asia also. Indonesia has similar great temples. Angkor Wat in Cambodia. Yeah. So many examples. The same system. So temples were centers of education, and people would donate their excess wealth to the temple so that it will serve the future generations and keep the education system and other good charitable works going. Because temples were the centers of culture. Everything good. There is a saying, I think, in Tamil. that do not live in a village where there is no temple exactly that is actually why does it say very famous saying like why does it exist the saying uh, i think it's translated koil illada edathla kudi irukakudadu it's it's very much famous i i i lot of times i heard this from my grandmother like you shouldn't be you shouldn't be living in a place where there's no temple actually the place where we live 
there there wasn't a temple like in the half a kilometer of where we had so our families like 10 families came together and built a temple there See? so we we built a temple the guys which is right next to a house we built the temple i grew up with that temple as the temple so imagine that that within a half kilometer radius if there is no temple there was a need to create a temple right there yeah it means that india was a land of temples every half kilometer there was a temple of course right everywhere every town every city every village had temples every half kilometer there was a temple and kids would get their basic education in temples it was not just a place for worship it was a place for education and in big cities the big temples would be places of much higher education and then you would have the mahavihara mahaviharas mm-hmm. and on top of that you had the great universities nobody was ever charged money for admission to any of these places it was always free for boys as well as girls and so called this we have this caste ah, everybody yes. was given education but how about the, the saying that uh, caste people were discriminated that's what the claim yeah. well during british times mm-hmm. the british themselves collected data before they destroyed india's education system they collected data about india's education mm-hmm. system the records are still there with the british and the writer dharampal mm-hmm. he went through all the british records and he wrote this volume of books called the beautiful tree okay it is in the 19th early late 19th early 20th century somewhere around that time okay the data is from the 19th century mm-hmm. and if you look at the data the british data which the british collected in temples ev- children of every caste were given education and boys as well as girls were given education and typically the so called lower castes had more students than the so called higher castes this can't be real no please read the book the beautiful tree by dharampal Bra- what is the percentage of brahmins in tamil nadu 2% it's very beautiful so clearly they will be greatly underrepresented in schools okay. because they are only 2% of the population so the the facts are what we are not taught we are taught lies in the education system okay uh, in our today's education system so these are the facts read the book the beautiful tree by dharampal i think it's available online it was written during british times it was written compiled using british data we did not make invent the data the british themselves invented uh, collected the data but all our lives we were told like of course the education was not you know given to everybody it was discriminated against the uh, poor you know the lower caste people and the people were not allowed inside the temple and we have uh, you know if we go back to like 100 years back not even 100 like 70 80 years back we have leaders here who climb to actually bring the you know lower class people into the temple uh, who were you know restricted from entering one so but how does it like just 200 years back it was all different i don't understand imagine if you are giving the same education to children of all the castes mm-hmm. and will you then have a different system and standards for temples because education happened in temples yeah but it's really unbelievable for me we have been really taught sorry, lies yeah because and you know this this thing the caste system now if i make the claim that the caste system is a british invention people will say i'm a stupid liar the truth is this that we always had the varna jati system okay it was way more complicated than four castes when okay. when the greek ambassador megasthenes came to india in the court of chandragupta maurya he wrote an account of india mm-hmm. the indian society he said that the society of india is divided into seven classes okay seven not four yeah seven classes including the including the farmers and the artisans and the soldiers and so on so forth seven different classes he said so just two and a half thousand years ago which is like yesterday for us in india mm-hmm. we had seven classes in india then in india we have the varna jati system varna means what occupation do you have mm, your yes. your family typically occupations run in families across the world yeah in england we have surnames like thatcher like smith yeah. and so on which are occupations yeah. which run in families the same happened in india in any functioning society will have division of labor not people will do different things in order to have a functioning society so we had the varna jati system in every varna you had lots of different jatis jatis means your family lineage and all that mm-hmm. it's a very complex system the british could not understand it it was too complicated for the simple british mind so they tried they created the system of four castes okay and then they made it compulsory that when you have a birth certificate you have to mention one of the four castes so any government document in india today 
it needs to mention your caste. Yeah. And so now it has become a reality. Yeah. Now it has become a reality. There are, there are four castes. Historically, it was lots of jatis and a bunch of varnas. That's how it was historically. So this four division system was created by the British. I'm not saying there was no, uh, you know, segmentation of society. In any functioning society, we have a division that, of labor. That will be. Even now we have. In a, in a corporation. Yeah. Can everybody do the CEO's job? Not at all. Mm. Not at all. Of course. In the army, can everybody be, be the general? No, no, no. In India, can everybody do Mr. Modi's work? No. So clearly you're going to have a division of labor, a proper structured system. But in India, it's evil. Everybody else, it's, everywhere else, it's, it's fine. So we have to think logically. I am not saying there are no problems in India. In the past thousand years of foreign occupation, lots of problems have crept into Indian society. We need to address the solve problems and solve them. And even at the best of times, think about Imperial Rome at the highest peak of its greatness. You think there are no problems there? Of course. In society? Yeah. Think of the British Empire, the most evil empire that ever existed. You think there was no problem there? Read the books of Charles Dickens. Have you read any Charles Dickens book? No. Okay. Oliver Twist is an example. David Copperfield is another example. This is from the 19th century Mm. when the British Empire was so big the sun never set. The richest empire in the world. Charles Dickens books are about poverty. Crushing poverty. So in such an incredibly rich and powerful empire, why was there so much widespread crushing poverty? Because it was a horribly inegalitarian society. Every society has problems. But in India, we are singled out as the evil ones. So we have to understand that we have to see the world in the right context. I am not saying there were no problems in Indian society. But I think overall, we are a far better society historically than all these other people who pass judgment upon us. So we have to stop judging us by foreign standards, judging ourselves by foreign standards. Of course, every society has problems. We need to identify and fix the problems and keep on doing it. But we, it is, I think, high time that we stop blaming ourselves for all the problems others have created for us. So we know there are a lot of classifications based on the caste in, you know, in India. Whenever the question of, you know, the culture of India arises, uh, the first thing people point out is the caste. Caste, yes. Of course. Uh, but uh, were there any discrimination in ancient India? Because uh, the discrimination is now there for sure. Because I have seen it in my own eyes. Uh, in my village, how people are being discriminated based on their caste, how my own relatives uh, do the discrimination. I've seen that with my own eyes. So whenever the discrimination part question arises, uh, I cannot answer that question because uh, was it like the same thing in the ancient India as well? Or is it being, uh, you know, because of the invasion, the discrimination, you know, brought in? Uh, what, what do you think? Yeah, it's a very interesting question because our historians have never tried to look into this. They typically blame it on us. That your culture and your religion is to blame for this. That's yeah. what they do. Yeah. Now the question about whether there was any kind of discrimination in ancient India is interesting. So let's talk about the Saraswati Sindhu phase, the Indus Valley Harappan phase of India's history. Was there any discrimination there? So how do we know whether there was discrimination or not? How do we know from the archaeological record? Let's take the example of Egypt. Mm-hmm. In ancient Egypt, you had big pyramids which contain God knows what. Then you had these massive royal funerary complexes where you have all this mummified royalty. Yes. And then you have ordinary people who are buried just like that. Skeletons, not mummified. Yeah. So you can see a class difference of in there. Yeah, yeah. You can see privilege right there. Yeah. If you look at ancient Europe, you can see certain royal tombs are extremely like mausoleums, ornate, decorated. And then you find skeletons which are just, you know, buried together in some cases. So clearly you can see, especially when it comes to the clergy. The clergy were buried in lead caskets, very secure lead caskets made of lead. But ordinary people would be buried just without any, any coffin at all. So you can clearly see a disparity in status. So in Egypt, we have an example there of disparity in status and class. In Europe also we have that. When we look at the Saraswati Sindhu phase of Indian history, 
we see that all the dwellings, all the houses were more or less the same. All were two or three storied. All had a flush toilet. All had a kitchen. All had a connection to, to a drainage system. All were more or less the same size. All of them had uh, a fireplace. So all of these dwellings, all of these houses, they look very much the same. There is no large house and others are smaller. You don't see that. You see evidence of burials, people who are buried. You also see evidence of cremations, pots containing burned bones. You also see that. But you don't see certain burials that are superior in status. And some that are done improperly or haphazardly. So if you look at the archaeological record of the Saraswati Sindhu phase of Indian history, several thousand years, you fail to decipher any disparity. Okay, you don't find it. Now, does it mean there was no discrimination? Maybe it doesn't mean that. Maybe certain people were more valued. For instance, I am going, going back to a different time now. Vishnu Gupta Chanakya in Arthashasra said that entertainers should be highly taxed and kept away from general society. Because they should not be the role models of society. Entertainers should not be the role models. Look at the world now. Today is opposite <laughs> so, so that is an example of discrimination, but maybe it is good discrimination. I am not, we have to understand that not all discrimination is bad. There is something called discernment. Will you marry the first guy who proposes you? No. I of didn't course know. you will not marry the first of guy who proposes you. Know. You will have some standards. Yeah, for sure. Is that bad? It's good discrimination. You have the right to discriminate. You have the right to make your own choice and say no to whoever you don't like. Similarly, in society also there are choices. So, Chanakya said, tax entertainers highly, heavily and keep them away from general society. Is that evil? I don't necessarily see that as evil. So, there could have been such cases which are not visible in the archaeological record. When they die, they will be buried the same way. But in life, they were treated differently perhaps. And in ancient India, we always valued knowledge more. Even today we have that. The, a person who is very well read is regarded with a special kind of uh, yes. respect. Even today we have it, even though it is something which comes back old times. So we have a saying in Tamil like, like uh, the, the one who is knowledgeable, he will be you know, hey, wherever he goes. So It's something that comes back from thousands of years. So we have always valued certain kinds of people more than others. Now, does that represent discrimination? If it does represent discrimination, it's not bad. You have something called merit in society. A person who gets 99 marks out of 100 is regarded in a certain way, a person sure, who gets 35 sure. marks out of 100 is regarded in a very different yeah. way. Is that bad discrimination? If that is bad discrimination, why do we have the Olympic Games? Why don't we give everybody a gold medal? Yeah. Why do we have the Football World Cup, the Cricket World Cup? Let's give everybody a winner's medal. End of story. Nature is unequal. Society has always been unequal. It is the nature of society. But where the question arises is, the discrimination happens based on one's birth, not one's capability. So that is a different story. That is a very different point. And that's actually a relevant point that you're raising. So we see no, no evidence of that. Yeah, exactly. We of see course. no evidence of that in ancient India. Even we have sages who born as a, you know, what we call a shuta, whatever. Yes. We have sages. If, of course, uh, yes. I, I don't really remember. They we don't even know the, 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 you know, the Chandragupta Maurya, what so-called class or caste did he belong to? We don't quite know. Maybe he was an orphan. Maybe he was the son of a, a single mother. We don't quite know who the father was. So he was a boy of obscure or unknown origins. And he was chosen by Vishnugupta Chanakya and made emperor because he had the qualities. It did not matter where what his origin was. That's the kind of India we once used to have. We may not have that today, but yeah. So in the archaeological record, we don't see evidence of the discrimination that you rightly pointed out, which may exist in some places today and probably does exist. In ancient India, you see no evidence of that. 
So India has changed a lot in the past 1000 years. In the past 1000 years, Indian society was imposed upon by foreign occupiers who tried their best to destroy our culture and heritage. They tried their best. Look at Northern India. Do you see any great temples standing there? No. Look at the thousands of statues of Buddha in Northern India. Most of them, 98%, 99% will not have the head. Why? So they tried to destroy our culture and impose a foreign way of life on us. They have failed mostly, but that has that has imposed an enormous amount of stress and strain on Indian society. It has distorted Indian society. Indian society, when it was free, had evolved over thousands of years to function in a certain way. In the past 1000 years, it was not allowed to, to function the, in that way. So it had to cope in some ways. For instance, the foreigners, the Turks, when they came to India, they regarded women as pieces of meat. Okay? And Indian ladies, look at all the ancient temple carvings and sculptures. Indian ladies in those days wore less clothes than what of they course, wear today. Yes, yes. And that was a disaster for Indian ladies because they would be, you know, what, what would happen to them? So Indian ladies, especially in northern India, had to start covering up. Yeah. It was out of necessity, but it became a tradition because they had no choice. And now it is part of culture. Part of culture. That is how culture gets distorted because of external forces. So a lot of bad things have crept into our society in the past 1000 years. We have to understand societal dynamics and how such changes happen and not blame ourselves for all the years that have come into society. Obviously, the, the whatever has gone wrong and whatever bad practices exist today have to be addressed. Everybody has to be treated the same. Everybody should be given the same opportunities regardless of gender, regardless of birth, regardless of anything. Then let them go as far as they can go. Some will go higher, some will go lower. There is life. But everybody should get the same opportunity. So that's what I believe. But ancient India was a very different story. So when we talk about the ancient India, especially about the, you mentioned that 11,000 years back we yeah. have. Uh, but I quite didn't know anything about that. The earliest form of history I know was the Indus Valley Civilization. So what are the findings that... Uh, you know about the 11,000 years back history. Right. So uh, recently off the coast of Tamil Nadu, mm -hmm. near Puducherry, mm -hmm. they discovered an ancient submerged city mm -hmm. roughly a hundred meters below the sea level. Okay. It's approximately roughly a hundred square kilometers in area. So it's a large city. And the last time that... Uh, that part of the uh, undersea region was above the water was about 10 or 11,000 years ago. Because we know at what time in, in the past the ocean levels were that low. Yeah. So that city, it was built to a large scale about 10 or 11,000 years ago. And a city is not built in three weeks. A city of that size is built over centuries. Of course. Okay. And that's in the east. That is possibly Kaveri Pumpatnam. In the west... Uh, uh, there is the city of Dwarka. Mm. There is yeah. a city of a town of Dwarka in Gujarat. And our mythology supposedly has told <laughs> us that Lord Krishna used to rule over Dwarka. And Arjun, the warrior of Mahabharata, he had visited the city and he witnessed a horrible earthquake in which the city went into the ocean. It disappeared. So that is something they have always said is was mythology. But about 20 or 30 years ago, they they, somebody, the archaeologist Dr. S. R. Rao said, let me look under the water what's off the coast of Dwarka. And he found an entire city there. Oh my so God. So clearly what was written in the Mahabharat actually happened. Now, near Dwarka, in the Gulf of Khambat, you know, Gujarat has this neck, it's like a face in the neck of Gujarat. That region is called the Gulf of Khambat. There they have discovered an archaeological complex, which is not one settlement, but a network of cities, okay. which is about 120 kilometers, uh, meters below the sea level, okay. which corresponds to about between nine and 12,000 years before today, mm -hmm. when the sea was last below that. So if we start looking, we will find such ancient submerged cities all across along the coastline of India, because India is that old. Imagine a network of cities, 11 to 12,000 years old, was built and it looks exactly the same as the big cities of Harappa and Mohenjo-daro. But it was 10 to 12,000 years old. So imagine how much time it would have taken to build cities of that scale with of that sophistication. So clearly our civilization is way older than 
it is believed to be so we have evidence we have hard archaeological evidence you know you may not be able to carbon date anything from that mm-hmm. that region because we, we have not bothered to look there but just the sea level tells you how old it is yeah because the last time the sea was below that was about 11000 or 12000 years before today that itself tells the antiquity when and it looks the layout of the cities looks exactly the same as the saraswati sindhu cities which are above above the sea level so that tells the there is continuity it's the same civilization which built those ancient cities uh, and the, the newer ones so all of this evidence tells us that our civilization from north to south east to west is at least 10 12 maybe more 1000 years old we have there we have evidence isn't that interesting and fascinating of course of course it's like it's it's a crazy thing of course when you talk about the mythology and the history uh usually many things literatures in india as are just discarded uh, just as mythology because you know uh, we don't consider ram krishna as a you know historical, uh, historical figures. figures they were just mythological figures for us uh, but we ha- even we have in tamil nadu as i was told you in the morning we have silapadikaram manimegalai so many literatures like a number you know countless number of literatures which talks about the you know lifestyle of the people of sangamij and all but the only thing is they'll have little supernatural elements maybe at the end or something like that uh, but is it okay to just discard everything in the name of mythology see very interesting point that you raised when a story let's say you have a group of 20 people in a circle yeah and you whisper one sentence into the ear of one person and the job of that person is to whisper the same sentence into the ear of the next person after 20 rounds when it comes back to the original person the story will have changed completely completely yeah so that is a human tendency we tend to over time alter embellish magnify certain things and many 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 people over the generations tell the story over and over again and each person adds a certain special element maybe knowingly maybe unknowingly and after after thousands of years a person who was a great warrior may become a great god yeah it doesn't mean the person did not exist right so for instance we always our historians always regarded the mahabharat as mythology yeah. and until they found dwarka now they what can they do we found an actual city exactly where the so called mythology said it would be so it means it was not mythology it actually happened similarly once the asi archaeological survey of india examines the rama setu region we will know what the truth is let them do their work i think the process is underway right now so it's been 75 years since it got in independence maybe roughly yeah, yeah it's okay yeah. <laughs> okay so why is the archaeology department of india is not active as it should be because mm-hmm. we have the we are literally the oldest civilization in the world we can we can watch that we can say that i guess undoubtedly uh, yeah. yeah so shouldn't be the archaeological department more involved in finding the you know the traces of the past uh, as it should be because even we have in tamil nadu kiladi Uh, yes. it kind of stopped the archaeological works we kind of stopped it in the middle we found uh, evidences that goes back to 2000 years back or something in the it will be much older if you look yeah yeah but it's it it was it was stopped actually the 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 excavation was not completed so why the archaeological department is not active as it should be interesting question now i have some theories i have some facts and let's see where it goes the archaeological survey of india was created by our british occupiers it oh, was not created okay. after independence it is a british institution okay it was created to examine and study the archaeological heritage of india now if you go to london there is something called the london museum the ah. british museum full it of is, indian it is a crime scene full yeah. of stolen <laughs> things all these priceless uh, um artifacts in an artifacts statues of gods goddesses all kinds of things incredible things they came from india who brought them the asi brought them before independence maybe after independence i don't know but before independence the asi's job was to go and survey all the ancient monuments and whatever was of great value transport it to britain and you will find eventually it made its way even to the us and the entire western world So you have all kinds of museums the Met Museum in New York which has stolen artifacts from India yeah. the British Museum is a great example and so many other museums the ASI's job was to plunder India when it was under British rule 
after independence like every other institution in india nothing changed now i am not saying that after independence they have been stealing monuments i am not saying any of that but they still had the same colonial attitudes this feeling of being foreign and superior to the regular indians and they always had this tendency to prioritize foreign occupiers monuments like the mughal yeah monuments and all that and disregard indian tombs sorry indian monuments there are so many examples in the media in the news in the past 5 to 7 to 10 years of temples and monuments that are under asi protection from which idols have been stolen yeah. and then we know where the idols turn up yeah so i am not directly saying that the asi stole the idols but at least they, they have didn't care. they have been completely negligent yeah. in the in carrying out the duties so the asi i have said this in the past ideally the government should shut down the asi and create a new organization full of young professionals who actually care about archaeology that's what i believe should happen if will it happen or not i don't know if it happens the credit should go to me because <laughs> <laughs> i'm the only one saying this <laughs> that's actually uh, a new perspective to be honest because uh, what i thought is asi is something it was not funded enough it was not uh, you know uh, given enough opportunities interesting maybe there is a lack of funding even in isro there is lack of funding mm-hmm. so maybe to some extent there is a lack of funding which forces them to prioritize what they like so then they will neglect all the ancient indian monuments and prioritize Uh, Aurangzeb's tomb or whatever, and it's not like all ASI people are hopeless. They have produced some great archaeologists like S R Rao, like Dr B Bilal, one of the greatest archaeologists of all time. They have produced really good archaeologists also. But I would say, like all bureaucratic organizations, maybe ninety five percent of them don't care. Maybe five percent are real gems. That's possible. sad. That's sad. That's how India has always run for the past seventy five years. Because uh, our history is dependent on us. Like mm-hmm. it's sad actually. It is. and you know when you have a monument which is exposed to the elements and if you don't preserve it if you don't do your work then after 20 30 40 50 years it will be eroded and gone yes so it is certain things are time sensitive and if there is an apathy there our history, our history our heritage is kind of lost you know so that's you see a lot of that happening a lot and it's very unfortunate that's really sad it is yeah so as a final question uh i know that dwaraka has been found now uh but i don't exactly know what are the things that you know the details of the event uh can you shed some light on that part because uh, of course we india celebrate india celebrates krishna like if there is any evidence that could prove that he was a historical figure not just mythological you know character mm. uh that would be great na definitely it would yeah. be great so I don't remember exactly when the, mm-hmm. the 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 submerged city was discovered maybe 1980s or 1990s mm-hmm. somewhere around that time so the city was discovered it was discovered to be very large very well planned like this uh, the indus valley cities they even did some dredging rough dredging and they got some pieces of wood and all that the carbon dated one piece of wood to be more than 8000 years old mm-hmm. okay but that is, maybe is not conclusive evidence but the depths of the city tells you where it was built you know so it's very old 8000 9000 years old we know that uh so it's there and there is an island called beth dwarka which mm-hmm. is still above the ocean which is still oh, okay. above the water over there also there are very ancient structures walls and possibly the remains of larger buildings and all that but once again our archaeologists have kind of neglected that so after dwarka was discovered almost no underwater archaeology has been done it's just sitting there lying there nobody is doing anything why they are not doing anything i don't know should they be doing something of course they should be sending divers and teams of divers and sonar mapping and all that it can be mapped properly in the in the space of the next 3 to 5 years maybe 10 years so we will have a proper structure you know a proper model of what the city looked like but nothing is being done this incredible discovery was made so many years ago it's a priceless piece of our heritage ancient heritage and the asi is doing absolutely nothing there recently some foreign teams had come i don't remember which which show it was but they came with some sophisticated equipment sonar equipment and they did kind of did some investigation there but indian archaeologists kind of i'm sure there are some asi archaeologists who are really interested but 
as an institution overall, the ASI seems to be completely not uninterested in Dwarka. But uh, so that's what we know. In the past 30 years, if, if, if our archaeologists had done their job properly, we would know a lot more about it. But unfortunately, we don't. But one thing is for sure, exactly what was written in the Mahabharata happened. The city is exactly where it is said, the Mahabharata text said it would be. So it is the city which lies down under the water. Its destruction was witnessed by Arjun and most likely Lord Krishna had ruled over the city as king. It's kind of giving me goosebumps. Yeah. 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 So... It was really great to have you here, sir. I'm really honored that you came, you know, to my channel as the first guest. I'm, I'm really, you know, stunned to see how humble you are. Even though having so much knowledge on history, I'm like, I kind of, you can say I grew up watching you. Like, it's not like from the childhood, of course, but in the journey of history, you were like a role model for me. So I'm really honored and really grateful that you chose to come here. Thank you so much. Thank you for coming me and I'm excited and looking forward to have you more. Thank you future. so much for having me. It was a great pleasure talking to you. You are a wonderful conversationalist and please keep doing this. Yeah, for sure. Thank you so much. Awesome.